Welcome to the St. Michael Fall podcast series. My name is Tim Smith, and I will be leading our meditation today. Our theme this fall is building our future. This is a unique time in the history of St. Michael Church. God is calling us to take courageous steps forward. Together, we will build a future where the kingdom of God can be seen and known in new ways. As the psalmist says, send out your light and your truth that they may lead me and bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Our scripture reading today is 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 9-12. through 12. In King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it. So Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel to Assyria and settled them in Hala, in Gozan, and on the Habor River, and in towns of the Medes. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated his covenant, all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded. They neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. Here ends the reading. The victory of God at Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal did little of anything to persuade the northern kingdom of Israel to return to the God of Israel. Instability continued to rock the region until its defeat and exile at the hand of the Assyrians in 722 B.C. During the brief history of the northern kingdom, there were nine different kings who had ruled the country. Each was violently overthrown and assassinated, along with their families and supporters. The kings, though, had one thing in common. They all had remained unfaithful to God. In scripture, not one king of the north escapes the designation of being evil, which impacted not just those around them, but the nation as a whole. A reminder that it's never just about us. After Israel split in civil war, northern Israel retained the largest amount of land in Israel, the greatest number of people, the best agricultural land, as well as control of the two international trading routes, the International Highway and the King's Highway, along with the tax, trade, and influence from foreign lands and the culture that they brought. But included among the citizens of northern Israel were also the land's original occupants, the Canaanites. As a result, accommodation to the Canaanites and their various religious beliefs in pagan gods and their worship became the norm. Adapting to Baal worship started with Jeroboam's calf idols erected at Dan and Bethel. And it only spread from there escalating into a broader acceptance and participation of idol worship, including the use of Asherah poles, astrology, sorcery, and even human sacrifice. Scripture attests to this with an all-too-common phrase, and they worshiped Yahweh and. Amidst all of this, there was an increasing isolation from the influence of the temple Solomon built in Jerusalem and its priests. Representatives of each Jewish family were required to travel to the temple three times a year where worship, festival, feasting, and readings from God's law would remind the people of God's love, faithfulness, and power, as well as the calling that God had laid upon the Jews 
to be a light unto the nations. Eventually, the priests of the temple, who had been strategically placed throughout the northern part of Israel, fled to Judah for their own safety, taking their spiritual influence with them. It was during this time northern Israel became known not for commitment, faithfulness, and obedience to God's law, but rather mutiny, wickedness, social injustice, and the rejection of the spiritual influence of the priests living in their midst. All of this contributed to God allowing the defeat and the destruction of the northern kingdom by none other than a pagan nation, Assyria. The transportation routes that brought such wealth and comfort as well as international influences to northern Israel became the very vehicle the Assyrians used to swoop down and destroy them. Today's scripture is a reminder to look for the cultural and secular influences in our lives and the impact that they're having on us. I read a shocking statistic this past spring. The average high schooler spends between six to seven hours a day on their iPhone. That's more than 40 hours a week. And if we're lucky, we get them here at church for one to two hours a week. Who do you think's gonna win that cultural battle? It's a question that keeps me up at night. Another author stated that in the 1970s, the average family spent four to six hours a week at church. Today, that has shrunk to one Sunday a month. So, who really is influencing what we think? How we see the world? How we treat other people? The lives we lead and the people we're becoming? Do our lives reflect more the values and ways of the world or of Jesus? This is the question our scripture today calls us to reflect on and grapple with as we consider the downfall of northern Israel. A few months ago, I was surfing channels looking for something to watch one evening when I came across a documentary entitled The Jesus Music. It was a story of the rise of contemporary Christian music, starting with Chuck Smith's church, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. When contemporary Christian music was birthed, it was all about artists wanting to minister to people through their music. But as the industry slowly grew, and as well as its legions of fans, it became a billion-dollar business by the 1980s, so that in the 1990s, the giants of the music industry purchased most, if not all, of the small Christian music labels. It seemed that a shift then came about, because it became about fame, money, celebrity, egos, album sales, showbiz, and sadly, even moral failures. A lot of people in the industry began to feel that they had lost their way and that they needed something to help them refocus. Enter Michael W. Smith, perhaps the most prolific and successful contemporary Christian music artist, who was awakened one night in the middle of February 2001 with a message from God to write and record a live worship album, calling people and contemporary Christian music leaders back to God. He didn't listen. He was writing pop songs and admittedly worship wasn't even on his radar. But three weeks later he woke up again in the middle of the night and heard God say, for such a time as this. He began writing and eventually invited every major Christian artist to drop their ego at the door and to come be in the choir for this Christian concert. Michael W. Smith says, 
Halfway through the concert, he began to realize that he didn't hold the reins of what was happening on stage. God did. And it was one of the most powerful worship experiences ever recorded. One of the songs they sang was The Heart of Worship. More than 8,000 people gathered and 40 contemporary Christian artists sang, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. At the end of the concert, all of the artists gathered backstage as tears streamed down their cheeks. Many bent over in their chairs in prayer while others fell on their knees in prayer and thanksgiving for what they had just seen, experienced, and received. That led to a renewed emphasis on Jesus in contemporary Christian music, which flourished in the years after. The launch date for the live record of that concert was none other than September 11, 2001, 9-11 the day that changed America for such a time as this. Jesus said, enter with the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Do you need to find your way back to Jesus? Are there influences in your life that you need to shed because they are distancing you from God? In the end, it really is all just about Jesus. That is the narrow way to which we are called. Amen. Please join me as we continue with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. O oh God, you declare that your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace, that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.